Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we learn about a Bible topic, character, or concept. And today we're learning about spiritual maturity as we study the sermon, Child's Play. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to be saved. But Christ came and took that punishment on behalf of us. He lived the perfect life that we never could. It's through Jesus that we overcome not only Satan, the accuser, the originator of sin, but it's through Jesus that we also overcome sin and gain back our liberty. Hi, my name is Christopher, and ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat, because today we have with us, all the way in Brisbane, Mr. Jesse Marks. Hello, everyone. Now, Mr. Jesse Marks, today we're going to be talking about spiritual maturity, and, well, what I find interesting is uh, that unlike Adam and Eve, who we will learn about a little bit more in depth today, uh, you weren't born yesterday, were you? Nah, from memory, I don't think I was, no. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you believe in only Thursdayism, which, if you're interested to find out what that is, I recommend you go and read uh, Kira Lee's latest article. Uh, I forget the title of it, it escapes me at the moment, but it has to do with what our purpose in life is, and she goes through lots of different theories as to why we're here, what is the meaning of life, and you can find out more about that there. So go check it out. But, Jesse, what I wanted to quickly ask, or actually, you know what, I'm going to save that for our discussion period, so remind me about uh, what I was going to say earlier. So, let's just get right into our recap, but just before we do, if you haven't watched the sermon Child's Play, go to the link below, come back here later, because this podcast is full of spoilers. With that out of the way, let's get into our quick recap. The Sermon Child's Play focuses on the story of Adam and Eve. And as we look at what happens when they eat the forbidden fruit and realize that they've sinned for the first time, we see how they react to God, to sin, and to guilt. First of all, they try and hide their nakedness with fig leaves. In the same way, though Adam and Eve's response is very childlike, adults do the same thing, but in a perhaps more sophisticated way. We often try and keep our sins private and hide the fact that they are there. Similarly, once they've hidden from God, Adam and Eve run away from God in hope that God won't find them and therefore they won't be punished, just like children do. And once again, adults do the same thing. Except usually we're not morally accountable to a parental figure, but we do try and run away from our sin and our problems through escapism. Thirdly, Adam and Eve, they hide because they are afraid of God and the punishment that comes with it. And in the same way, many times adults only obey the law out of a fear of punishment. And finally, both Adam and Eve blame each other and try and drag other people down into their punishment because they are afraid. In the same way, adults, though not expressing things verbally, in their minds justify their actions by comparing themselves to other people. 
In this way, they are trying to drag other people down to their level to justify their actions. These are all indications of spiritual immaturity of how we react to God and to sin. But there are also solutions for us to grow spiritually. Instead of hiding, we can ask someone for accountability so that we are making sure that we improve in our spiritual lives. Instead of seeking escapism, we can repent to God and change our circumstances so that we no longer go for those venues of escape. Instead of serving God out of fear, we can create a relationship of love with God. And instead of comparing ourselves to other people, we need to stop making excuses and instead use Jesus as our standard. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 18 and verses 1 through to 5, that we are to be like children, not spiritually immature, but to have the humility of children and to have dependence on God that ensures we obey and serve him in a loving relationship. Only then can we have a spiritually mature life. All right. Well, Jesse, I'm interested to hear from you. What were your personal takeaways from this sermon? Sure. Yeah. Oh, first of all, I just want to say, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Good, good job. Um, it was also very timely as well. I was hearing a lot of um, similar information around, uh, for example, this guy called Timothy Jennings came to my church recently, and he was talking about moral development. So I thought, oh, that, that's interesting. Mm. He had a lot to say oh, nice. uh, that really tied in with what you're saying as well. And before that, I actually preached a sermon about growing up in your faith as well. So like, oh, man, there you go. That That's really cool. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it really tied in. Um, so, so yeah, first of all... Um, I think you even brought it up in your your recap. It's true. Like, really, when we grow up, not in every sense, but in a lot of ways, we just become more sophisticated children. So that was one of my yeah, first yeah. takeaways, which is like, yeah, it's a bit bit humbling sometimes. But yeah, essentially, mm. in many ways, it's true. And obviously, the main example you gave in your sermon is when we do something bad, that really, that sophisticated child aspect of just uh, being an adult really comes out. And not in a good way, in a very bad way. Um, so I thought yeah. you really brought out that quite well. Um, also, too, I really thought how you used the the creation story was quite creative. Uh, um, I've never really heard that unique application before, but I thought that was really spot on. Uh, just using, yeah, essentially a really good contrast between uh, what a true child of God is as opposed to what a disobedient child of God is. Because... As I'm sure you know, and many of our listeners are possibly aware of, the Bible describes us as the children of God. And in a literal mm. sense, we all are. But I feel like even, a more, even in a more literal sense, Adam and Eve were children of God. They came directly from God, created by God. And to see how that aspect of yeah. childishness came when God's actual children disobeyed, I thought that was quite uh, well brought out as well. And that distinction between what it means to be a child and childlike as opposed to being childish. I thought that was uh, mm. a good distinction in the sermon you made as well. Um, and yeah, overall, just a good general sense that we sometimes need to be humbled and be reminded of the fact that we need to grow up, especially when we're doing something bad, because that's when the easiest, it, that's when it's easiest to become uh, yeah. <laughs> child, childish. 
in that sense. So um yeah. No, nah, yeah, great points. Um so yeah, the, the distinction between childish and child like, which I'm sure we'll get into this discussion a bit more as well. Just the humble reminder yeah, that yeah. we tend to be uh like children when we disobey and we do something wrong. And yeah, in mm. the end that final reminder that yes, even though we can be disobedient sometimes and act like children, that should serve as a reminder that we actually have a loving heavenly father who is ready to forgive us, even though as adults we can act childish sometimes. So yeah, I overall yeah. really enjoyed it and some really good points, Chris. Awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad uh, you got a blessing out of it. I think for me, as I was uh, actually came across this idea, um, giving a Bible study, it was a bit of an impromptu one. I didn't realize uh, I'd be doing it. <laughs> no one had told me. <laughs> um, and so I just went, okay, um, I've recently done some research on Genesis, so we'll do this story. Mm. And as I was going through it, I just kind of, uh, I just kind of picked up on this recurring theme, like everything Adam and Eve do is exactly what a little kid would do. They, they, mm. they run away and hide and uh, everything they do is so childish. And I just thought to myself, wow, it's, this is, you know, like our great, 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 great grandparents, you know, like this <laughs> is the people who began the human race. And I kind of read that and was like, man, what a, what an embarrassing start we had, you know, like <laughs> it's, uh, it's not, not no great. And then, means, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, again, uh, I think you brought up a really good point um, in uh, your personal takeaways that you mentioned, uh, which was that it's very humbling to look at uh how Adam and Eve react, because again, uh, we've developed more clever ways or more cunning ways to disguise our methods, but mm-hmm. the, the, the core motivation is still the same. And I think that's um, a very humbling thing, very humbling aspect to look at. And um, I, would, I, would, I would think that everyone can relate to at least one of those um, methods on the chart, whether it's escapism or just mm. keeping your sins private or um serving god out of fear uh, i think regardless of where you are in uh, your spiritual journey you know we're obviously always struggling and i think we can slip into at least one of those so i hope for our listeners at home as well uh that you found not only pointing out the ways we act immature useful but also the solutions for how we can grow and uh hopefully grow out of those habits so hmm. again our listeners if you haven't listened to that sermon for a much more in-depth uh you know discussion on that topic uh and probably to understand what we're going to talk about right now more definitely go check that out uh, it will be very worthwhile but look let's just get right into the cutting room floor uh jesse could you tell me what the cutting room floor is for our listeners at home Most definitely, Chris. So, The Cutting Room Floor is this segment in the podcast where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product, and we break them down. Awesome. Okay, well, apart from Adam and Eve and God, who is one of the other main characters in the story of Genesis 3? The, uh, the seductive and charming snake, Chris. Ah, that is correct. See, we're going to be looking quite a bit at uh, that cunning little snake. Um, First of all, though, Jesse, sometimes people uh, will say, well, how do we know that the snake is Satan? Because 
usually Christians identify the serpent and the garden as Satan. Mm. But in the story of Genesis, it never says that the serpent was Satan. So how can we identify it uh, as that fallen angel? Uh, Turn to the book of Revelation, and we're going to be looking in chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through to 12. So that's Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through to 12. Oh, well, actually, before we get to uh, verse 10, we'll read verse 9 first, actually. Okay, sure. Uh, But I'll read out that one, and then we'll go into verses 10 and 12 in just a moment. So, verse 9 says, The great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out, with him. So, just reading uh, that verse, uh, what is it we can kind of extrapolate from there, Jesse? Sure. So, I guess there's a, oh, there's some synonyms at work here. So, there's this great dragon, this character described in Revelation, but he's also described as that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan. Now, um, yeah, Hmm. I guess if you have a knowledge of how the book of Revelation is written, it heavily relies on the Old Testament. So, a keen student of the Old Testament, the scriptures, would see that reference, the ancient serpent, and think, ah, that's Genesis. So they would go back and say, ah, okay, Mm. that's snake, that's the devil, that's Satan. And it's interesting that one of his defining characteristics is he deceives. Mm. And that's straight up what we see the uh, the serpent doing in the garden, deceiving Eve. Uh, That's it, like you said, cunning, deceiving, seductive. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Cool. So, do you want to read for us verses 10 through to 12? Yes, can do. So, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Hmm. All right, there's actually quite a lot for us to unpack uh, in just those first few verses there. Uh, And first of all, Mm. it says... Uh, the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And what's interesting about that is we have the label of accuser uh, twice there. And mm. the word for Satan literally just means the accuser. Um, now, we don't have it here in our uh, notes, uh, but Jesse, do you know the first time uh, this title of Satan or the accuser is used uh, in Scripture? Well, I I believe it's back in Genesis 3. Back where our story uh, begins. I don't know if we I don't oh, know if we okay. see necessarily the title of accuser. There's another story um quite close in the time of Genesis though. Ah, okay. Uh in the book of the book of Job. Uh where we're told that Satan comes into the heavens. Um So as far as chronology goes, that's probably the first time we see Satan with that title, at least. So, sorry, you you were correct in saying 
our first appearance of Satan is in Genesis 3, um, but him having this title of the accuser or the Satan, uh, we find first in Job. You made a good observation in that uh, the way the author is writing it is so that if you know the Old Testament, you have these images come to mind. So he says, ah, the serpent Mm. of old, ah, that's Genesis. And then he says, the serpent is also called the accuser. So now you're going, ah, that was in Job. And it's also in uh, Zechariah, I believe. So all these images are flooding your mind if you are very familiar with the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, And it says that the people of the earth, they defeated Satan through the blood of the lamb. And we know that the lamb represents uh, Jesus. So it's through Jesus that uh, the people of earth overcome Satan. Uh, And I love how it says, the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Because he knows this time is short. To me, like that basically just reads identically to dragging other people down into his punishment. He's been cast Mm. out. He's been rejected. So now he's just saying, all right, like just out of spite to God, I'm going to bring as many people down as I can with me. And I'm going to be quick because I know my time is short. Um, mm, I don't have a long time to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think more important than looking at the problem we face is the solution, right? Uh, And it says again Mm. that we defeat Satan through the blood of the Lamb. It's through Jesus that we defeat Satan. So, I want to go to what I think is a very interesting story in Deuteronomy chapter 34. So, for our listeners at home, if you want to turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 34... And this is the conclusion of the story of Moses. You may be familiar with Moses. He is famous for parting the Red Sea, for bringing down the Ten Commandments. Um, You probably, you know, either know of or have seen the Charles Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, and you you picture Moses with a big bushy beard. This is the conclusion to his life, and he was probably one of the most influential figures in uh, Jewish history. So... Uh, Jesse, do you want to read for us verses 1 through 3, and I'll read verses 4 through to 6. Sure. Verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, and the Negev, and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the City of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Now, I love that story. Mm. Um, because it's, it's a nice kind of conclusion to Moses. And uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar, Moses' goal was not only to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but to take them to the promised land that God had given. Uh, promised to the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And just as the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, God says to Moses, your time's come. And he says, you're going to see the promised land, but not go into it. And it was because of um, one time where Moses directly disobeyed God. Um, And there's a lot of theological background to that, but we won't go into it. But the mysterious part is that God himself personally buries Moses and no one knows the tomb. So in other words, no one's ever found the body of Moses. Uh, It's a mystery to us. But then, similar to how if you want to know about Genesis, you've got to go to Revelation. If you want a conclusion to the story of Deuteronomy, you have to go to Jude, which is the second last book of the Bible. And this, to me, is so nice. It feels like the you know big conclusion to a saga. Um, so let's turn to Jude, chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verse 9. And, um, Jesse, would you like to read that for us? Sure. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And then I'll read uh, my translation, which says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So this is a really Hmm. interesting uh, piece of the puzzle here. Here we see that Michael the archangel has come to the body of Moses. Uh, And we we know that Michael, uh, he's the archangel, and we read in, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4, that it's, the shout and the trumpet of the archangel which resurrects the dead and uh, we could go a lot more in depth into that discussion but probably for another day but here it is implied that Michael is coming to the body of Moses to resurrect him Uh, and here comes Satan or the devil to dispute it and what uh, the word that I have in my um, Bible is here that the word accusation Uh, Mm. Here is Satan again accusing God's people. And he's saying, the people aren't good enough. They are sinful. They don't deserve eternal life. They don't deserve love. But why is it that God is allowed to resurrect Moses? Because technically, like Satan Mm. is correct. We don't deserve eternal life. We do deserve punishment. So why is it that God can give not only Moses but also us eternal life. Mm. It's a question of the ages, isn't it? <clears throat> it is. What are your thoughts? <laughs> My thoughts, exactly. I I think it has to do with what God would do in the future, uh, at the specific point of Moses anyway. There was something that God was yeah. going to do, uh, namely through the Messiah, that was going to, I guess if you say, take away, or or make, I'll use the word nullify, all the accusations Satan could throw at Moses and all of God's people, essentially, that the Messiah Mm. was going to do something crucial. Um, Do you want me to continue, or do you want to, or do you want to take it away? Oh, I don't mind. Uh, You can, you can continue if you'd like, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, essentially, it's, it's no secret within Christianity, the reason why 
Moses could be resurrected or contended over why God could, uh, I guess, in a sense, rebuke Satan is the cross, essentially. The the central mm. moment, the central figure within the whole of Christianity when God came down and took the punishment that we deserved. Because, yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to be saved. But Christ came and took that punishment on behalf of us. He lived the perfect life that we never could. So he could give us the perfection that we don't deserve, that he deserved, that he, that he did, that he accomplished to us so that we could be mm. perfect. Not because we are perfect, but because he lived the perfect life and gave his perfection or his righteousness to us. So, yeah, that essentially in, is, that's the mystery. Mystery solved, if you will. Mystery solved. Yeah, that, uh, I love that, isn't that, it, that That's so awesome that... Mm. When Satan comes with an accusation, your people aren't good enough, Jesus says, like, yeah, you know, you're right, but mm. I am, and I did this for them, and it is accredited to them. So mm. they are now worthy of that eternal life, not because of their works, but because of their faith in my sacrifice. And what is it? Uh, the, the terminology used in Revelation is the blood of the Lamb, the blood that Jesus shed as the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb for our sins. So... I love mm. how the story of Moses is a really good example of how it is that Christians overcome the accuser. We do it through the sacrifice of Jesus. And mm. I think what's also cool is um, there is another time where Moses makes an appearance, and that's during Jesus' ministry. Uh, it's an event called the Transfiguration. And essentially what happens is Jesus, he takes three of his disciples up to a mountain, and... Uh, these people, the disciples, see Moses and Elijah appear next to Jesus, and Jesus is shining with light because he's showing his glory. Uh, so the implication there is that Moses, he is in heaven. Moses is in heaven, and he's alive, and he's come down um, mm. to Jesus. But then we also have another key figure in history that comes down from heaven, and that's Elijah. And I love this because Elijah is one of the prophets. Uh, I can only think of two prophets. Elijah is one of the prophets who asked God to take his life. He reached a point of such depression where he asked God if he could die. Hmm. And when Elijah had finished his ministry, God took him to heaven before he ever died. I love that. The man who wanted to die, God made to live forever before he ever died. <laughs> and so... Not only uh, do Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, so here is Jesus, his whole ministry is being authenticated by the figureheads of the law and the prophets, which were the two key parts of the Jewish scriptures. But they also represent those who are in heaven, uh, those who will be resurrected from the dead at the second coming, and those who will already be alive at the second coming, which again, we read about that in First First Thessalonians 4, which tells us about the archangel who resurrects, which takes us back to <laughs> to Jude. So it's Jude, one yeah. big, you know, like it's one big circle that leads us all over the place. But the key is that both those who are dead and alive in Christ, those who have had faith in Jesus and the blood that he shed for us on the cross, Satan can do nothing against them. His accusations mean nothing because of what Jesus has done. And to me, that is, uh, that's an incredible, uh, 
that's incredible good news mm. for us. For sure. And just, just to add one thing to what you've already been saying as well, that I thought of when I heard the sermon. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we forget that it's Satan. is He's the one that's accusing us. It's not God. I think sometimes in our heads we have this image of God being this uh, angry judge up in heaven. Of course, God is a judge, mm. but this angry judge who just wants to accuse us of our wrongs is looking at writing a list of everything bad we're doing. But here in the story of Jude, in the story of Moses... God is the, actually the one defending us. Satan, mm. he's, the one's, he's the one accusing us. God is the one on our side, essentially saying, no, no, yes, he did those bad things, but look what I've done. And look how he's responded to, by faith to what I've done and what I've done throughout his life. God is the yeah. one defending him. And I think that's awesome. That, that's a great point. And for our listeners at home, if you want a, a good example, I think, of how much God really doesn't want us to have to endure punishment. Read Ezekiel 38, Mm. uh, and it's in verses 23 and 32, where God says, Do I get any joy from the death of the wicked? No, No. I don't want anyone to die. Therefore, repent and live. Just repent of your sins and live so that you do not have to face that judgment. Mm. Now, uh, we're going to transition into a different topic And we're still looking at Adam and Eve again. So we began by looking at that character of Satan and how really Satan's response is also immature. In the sermon, we looked at how Adam and Eve were immature. So we just looked at how Satan was immature, but how we can overcome him. Now let's take it back to Adam and Eve. And what I find interesting about Adam and Eve is, like kids, uh, Eve in particular, she had this kind of uh, desire to want to push the boundaries. I think it's interesting how children, they always want to see what they can get away with. Mm. They're, they're always, you know, how far can I push this, you know? They always want to see how far they can cross that line. I don't know if uh, you have any kind of recollections in your childhood of, uh, you know, pushing things and trying to see what you can get away with. Um, but what I find I have- is funny is... Oh, have you got one? Please do share. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was just going to say, actually, I do have one. Um, I I actually had to ask ask my parents, funnily enough. I've got a terrible memory when it comes to my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I just want to forget it or I just do forget it. Who knows? <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm sure I don't want to forget it. Um, no, I had a pretty good childhood. No, but there wasn't one instance. Um, my mom actually told me. So, I guess being a kid, you, you like to use your senses. You're, you're figuring things out. So yeah, yeah. Um, I used to, when I was walking along, to feel the things I was walking along beside. So whether that was like a hedge or a gate or a pole or whatever, I would just run my hand along things as I walked along. And um, apparently one day I was walking with a family and there was uh, an electricity pole. You know, like those wooden electricity poles? Um, yeah, yeah. Often how they're not sanded, so they're quite rough and there's a lot of splinters on them. And oh, as I was walking along feeling everything in my path, uh, my mum or my dad or one of my parents said, hey, Jesse, you might not want to feel that, that electricity pole. You might get a splinter. And I was like, nah, nah, I'll be fine. I, I, I won't do it. I kind of want to feel what it, I want to know what it feels like. It, it looks interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kept walking along and my mum was said again, Jesse, no, nah, you shouldn't do this. It's, you, you're not going to like it. But like, nah, nah, it'll be fine. I want to do it. I want to do it. So yeah, I ran my hand across it. Obviously got a splinter. Apparently that was my first splinter. I was not a not a happy chap. 
and <laughs> I learned not to do it again. As, as you rarely are with that. Yeah, exactly. It's not always, it's not fun uh, getting a splinter feeling pain. So yeah, that I guess that's one example of how I wanted to push the boundaries or get away with something as a kid. Yeah, and um, if you've listened to uh, my sermon, uh, I gave an example there of me eating chilies. So mm. I don't think it takes a uh, genius to figure out where that story goes. <laughs> so go back and listen to it if you want the more fuller story. But what I find interesting is that um, many people view Christianity as restrictive uh, because mm. it prevents you from crossing those lines that we always want to push. Um, but the way that I think about it is this. If, you, if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, and some of our listeners may be familiar with this uh, metaphor. I think I may have used it in a podcast before, but I think it's important. So I'd like to reiterate it, uh, especially if, for listeners who maybe this is their first time listening to our podcast. Let's say you're standing on a cliff. Now, when you're on top of the cliff, you have two choices. You can choose to jump off it or to stay. You have two options. Let's say when you jump, that's you crossing the line. When you jump, you no longer have the ability to choose between two options. Mm. You forfeited an option. Uh, You only have one now, and that's to fall. (laughs) You've lost control. Mm. Whereas if you stay on top of the cliff, you continually have a choice to um, either stay or to fall. And I think it's the same uh, when we look at the rules of God. God gives us these choices. Now, when we choose to disobey him and go into sin, we've jumped off the cliff. We no longer have those two choices. Mm. But if we're living a life in which we keep the rules, we actually have two options at all time. To continue keeping the rules or to jump off. You always have two options. So to me, mm. it's actually less restrictive. You, you actually have more options and more liberty. Um, And I also see uh, God's rules almost as uh, kind of like a fence in that uh, it's there to protect you. Fences are usually around places to protect you. Hmm. The reason that there is a fence at the zoo is so that the lion can't get you. No one looks at a lion fence and says, oh, this is so restrictive. (laughs) Why can't I go into the lion pen? Hmm. No one says that because we understand that the fence is there for the protection and safety of other people. Now, technically, you could choose to jump that fence, but you would face the punishment. And again, once, you've, once you're in the lion pen, you no longer have the choice of two options. You've made your decision, and that's risk being with the lions. That's you choosing to risk being in sin. And I, what I even find interesting is that Uh, probably the most literal translation of the Garden of Eden in its original Hebrew would be the enclosure of pleasure. Hmm. And again, we think of an enclosure as a fenced-off area. Oh, that's so restrictive. But it was a place that God had specially created for Adam and Eve for their pleasure, for their joy, for them to enjoy uh, being with the animals and with nature and cultivating it and uh, spending time with God, it was a place of joy. And again, mm. once they crossed that line, they no longer had the option to return to Eden. They no longer had two options. They only had one, and that was to go out into a world full of sin and full of hardships. That's right. Um, 
Now, I, I, I found this really interesting, actually. As I was preparing this, mm. it kind of hit me that uh, in the past year, I have preached three sermons on Genesis 3. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't figure out why. Um, the first one, uh, it was a certain text was given to me, but it wasn't Genesis 3, but I made it tie into Genesis 3. <laughs> then the other one I just found to be very interesting, and then I found another way. So I, somehow I found three different ways to look at Genesis 3 that year. <laughs> and I didn't, I don't, like, I like Genesis 3, but it's not like I, I'd gone out of my way to, you know, do it, but... That's funny. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> it really baffled me. But uh, for our listeners at home, if you haven't listened to... Um, both those sermons that I've preached and the podcasts we have, and you are interested in this very intriguing chapter of the Bible, uh, definitely go listen to the sermons and the podcasts, share the same name. There's Over the Hedge and Naked and Ashamed. Uh, Naked and Ashamed focuses more on the ideas and concepts of God's glory, uh, the guilt and shame aspect, um, having humility as well as the sanctuary system, uh, whereas Over the Hedge focuses a bit more on what we've discussed now, which is pushing the line and what that looks like. And um, <clears throat> I've, uh, I think you'll uh, find those very interesting. So if you want to know more about Genesis 3, go check out the other 50 sermons I preached on Genesis 3 <laughs> last year, apparently. Uh, but each of them, I assure you, they do have their own unique perspective and different applications for you. So you'll find them interesting. Mm. But... Just to wrap up this topic of liberty, uh, I want to turn to Romans chapter 7. And for our listeners, we're only going to read a few select verses here, but I would highly encourage you to read the chapter in its entirety. It's pretty short. It's not too long. uh, Only one page. And it's very, uh, very profound. So, Jesse, would you be able to read for us uh, verses 15 through to 17? Sure. Verses 15 through to 17. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Nice. So, uh, what would you kind of, in the context of what we're talking about, which is freedom and choice and liberty and restrictions... Uh, what would you kind of pull out of that text that Paul is writing about here? What's the meaning he's trying to convey? Hmm, sure. So, he wants he wants to do something. He really wants to do something. But there's just some part of him that's not letting him do it. He, he keeps failing. Mm. He keeps messing up. And it's not that he wants to do, uh, essentially, the things that he's failing at. He doesn't want to... It was, he doesn't want to fail. He wants to do the right thing, but he just keeps doing the the wrong thing, and he and he hates it. You can tell by what he's uh, what he's written here. But then he says mm. something interesting, which I'm sure we're going to discuss a bit longer. He said, "It's no longer I myself who do these bad things, but it is sin living in me." And I, I don't know. Mm. I find that really intriguing. What's this thing, sin living in me? Yeah, and uh, again, coming back to that dichotomy of the cliff, Paul is basically saying, mm. "Oh, look." I've jumped off the cliff and I really want to get back up, but it's really hard. Exactly. He says, I, I keep doing the wrong thing. I keep jumping off the cliff, even though I know it's the wrong thing. Exactly. I'm scared and of heights, I love... but I keep jumping off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, he says, I, and he says, I want to stand on the cliff, but every time I try to, I just jump off. Mm. 
Um, it's like this force think, living with me that's compelling me to jump off the cliff. Mm. Yeah, it is. You know what it's like? It's uh, it's like lemmings. You know how mm. lemmings just jump off cliffs? Uh, and he, uh, he says later on, he says, A wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Mm. Um, it's this sinful nature we all deal with that encourages us to push those boundaries, that wants to, to break God's law uh, and to jump off that cliff. And Paul realizes that it's a problem that he needs to face. And mm. so after he says, who's going to save me? I love the ending verse yeah, me too. in this chapter. Me too. It says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is who is going to save him. Mm. That is how he is going to be able to overcome sin. Once again, it's the blood of the Lamb. It's through Jesus that we overcome not only Satan, the accuser, the originator of sin, but it's through Jesus that we also overcome sin and gain back our liberty, Mm. which I find amazing. And so to quickly conclude... um, there's one other cool dichotomy that Paul establishes here in Romans, and that is being of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And I like to think of it in terms of citizenship. So if you're born in Fiji, you're a Fijian. Mm. If you're born in Denmark, you're a Danish citizen. And unfortunately, all of us are born into the kingdom of sin. We're born with a sinful nature. So we belong to the kingdom of sin. And so... Jesus, uh, he says in John 3, that in order to be part of the kingdom of God, it requires being born again. When we're Mm. born into God's kingdom, we now become a citizen of his. But the interesting part is that we still live in tension, because even though we've been born again, we still have this body of death or this, this sinful nature inside of us. And so there's this tension between the two, even when we are saved. Uh, But the way that we persist, I think, uh, is through this word called sanctification. For our listeners at home, sanctification just means uh, being made more into the image of Jesus or of God. Every day, bit by bit, adopting more of his character to reflect his love and his glory. So... My appeal to our listeners today is that there is an accuser. Satan is out to tell God that people are not worthy of eternal life. And technically he is right, but God didn't want for us to be judged. So through him, he lovingly gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins to take our punishment so that we no longer have to endure it. Mm. Through the blood of the Lamb, we have victory over sin and over Satan, and it allows us to have freedom, it allows us to have liberty, and it allows us to have pleasure. So my appeal to our listeners today is to choose to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you so that you can have victory over Satan and over sin. So, Chris, do you have any recommended readings for us? Yes. Uh, this has been recommended in previous podcasts, uh, this book, but I'm just going to recommend a specific chapter, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, and it has to do all about this chapter, and it gives a lot of good insights that I wasn't able to cover uh, in the sermon. Again, there are so many 
uh, different perspectives. Oh, maybe not perspective, I, I should say. It's all one coherent, uh, you know, meaning behind the text, but there are lots of different theological directions you can take it in. So mm-hmm. this will give you a lot more insight. And again, if you want to hear some of those different theological aspects, such as uh, God's glory or uh, that idea of pushing the boundaries, I'd also recommend the other two sermons that I uh, preached on Genesis 3 and their podcasts as well. All right, Jesse, well, where can all of these people find you? Sure, very simple. Uh, On YouTube, simply Jesse Marks. Or right here on the After Sermon podcast as well. Awesome. And Christopher, where can people find you? People can find me here every month on the After Sermon podcast on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, Facebook, make sure to go there so that you know when we have all of our new episodes and sermons coming up. Thank you so much for supporting us, guys, and for listening in with us. That concludes today's podcast, and we hope that you've been blessed as we've discussed the sermon Child's Play and about how we can mature in our faith and overcome Satan and sin through the blood of war. Make sure to come back in a month for another episode. And with that said, have a good one and good night.